Watching first down. Two receivers deep. Rodgers gives Nelson a shot. Jordy Nelson! Touchdown! Green Bay! Number two on the night. You know, I actually wasn't all that upset with the Saints' loss on Sunday. I woke up with a mindset that they had a really great chance to win the game. By one fifteen, I knew they weren't winning the game. Yeah. And I just kind of sat there and watched as they just kind of went through the motions for what was left of the game and ran the fuck off the field as quickly as they could. And <laughs> as I was watching the game last night thinking, wow, they're going to get away with that. That that 40 to 10 loss to Carolina it literally changed nothing for them. Right. Except a week went by that they could have caught up to Atlanta, but that that's that's it. It changed nothing and it made me wonder, do I really want them to make the playoffs? So I made a pros and cons list. Okay. The pro to making the playoffs is someone from the division has to Right. So why not your team? I guess I, I guess I would prefer us over Atlanta or maybe Carolina if they could somehow make it. Another pro is this happened to us very recently. <laughs> yeah. And it would be nice to avenge that. The negative though is They're going to fix that by this year, by the way, right? I mean, they're gonna have like a six and ten or a seven and nine. Well, I guess seven and nine is what it was. I think last the time. only thing you can fix if you're gonna keep divisions is just that they can't host. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, because the six and ten or seven and nine team is going to host. Otherwise again. otherwise what are you just gonna pick some arbitrary record and say if you yeah, win the division with this record, you can't make the playoffs? Yeah, I don't know. This just happens once every five years, and you got to live with it. Now, I think it would be a much more fair way to do it is, and it's necessarily not arbitrary, if you win the division with a losing record, you don't get to host the game. Yeah, that works. You know, So 8-8 eight eight or better, you get the spot. Less than that, you get the spot, but you can't host. Yeah. Otherwise, you can't have divisions. Right. Because right. if winning one doesn't mean anything, you shouldn't have them. Right, well, so it's I've, not fair to play those teams two sure, times each right. if there's no reward for winning it. Because I keep hearing people saying, fix fix it, fix it, fix it, and all their hilarious NFC South jokes. And and it, it just it's frustrating for me because this just happened yeah. three, three, four seasons ago or whatever. And before that, it was the NFC or the AFC Central. The Pittsburgh division had a year like this. And it happened. So well, seven and nine was the the Seattle was the first time a right, losing the, team ever won. The Saints but. could very or Falcons very easily still be seven and nine. Oh yeah, easily. They don't have to be six and ten. No, they don't have to be five and eleven. Like people just assume that. I mean, one of them is going to have six wins because someone has to win. Or uh, they all play each other. Well, one of them, uh, the Saints and Falcons have a game, so right. someone has to win that one, right? I would assume. <laughs> I guess they could tie it, yeah. but yeah. Uh, the biggest negative, though, is there's a new rule where if you make the playoffs, you are slotted in the draft uh, accordingly. You don't get a top 10 pick where they would. Oh, right. One of them is going to make the playoffs and draft in the 20s, and one of them is not and going to get a, a top 10 pick. 
And I don't know. Maybe I'd rather have that. Because hmm. Drew Brees is still going to be the quarterback next year. Jairus Bird, who's allegedly good at football, although I didn't see it in the, <laughs> in the short time, is going to return. Do you, do you feel, I didn't watch any of the game, but do you feel, I know you said that game they gave up by 115, do you feel the team has given up? No. Because, I mean, they're, they're not in a position to, whereas like the 7-5 49ers look like a team that have given up, even though they yeah. have a winning record. I don't think they, they've given up. They've had a really weird season you could never figure out. I mean, they, yeah. they have four games where they had a lead in the last two minutes. Yep. You know, it, it's been just a bizarre, bizarre season. I doubt that they've given up, and I'd be really surprised if they didn't come out on Monday night against Chicago and play a lot better than that. I, I guess Chicago could still win. You know, I anyone is capable of beating them. They're not, they can't go into any game saying, hey, we're the better team here. I know, I looked at that game for pick four, and I didn't pick it, but I'm like, Okay, the Saints, I think they're on the road, right? Yes. On the road. Which right now is just almost better for them. It's strange. Yeah. As quickly as that ch- it changed, they played a much more relaxed. Dallas is undefeated on the road, so I don't know if Romo is more relaxed on the road too by the same token. But, uh, yeah, I'm thinking as far as my picks go, maybe I'll go with the Saints one more time. They're on the road. Uh, they've got to be getting a couple points, right? And it's No, they're playing Chicago, and they're probably just as big a mess and the Saints, you have to actually give four points on the road. So, One of us went 4-0 in the picks last week. It wasn't me. No, it wasn't <laughs> Anyway, uh, not sure. Maybe I'm to the point where I'd rather they didn't make it. Here's what we're at. Don's out of work early on a Tuesday. I am. So we're doing this early Tuesday afternoon, and I would say we don't really know for sure who the guests are. We know Luke Wynn. Is going to join us okay. to talk about the college basketball season, which has started uh, without him coming on to talk about it because he was busy chasing stuff, some stuff down. So we made plans to talk around this time, and we're going to do that for sure. Jason Lockenfora may be on, just going to be about his schedule tomorrow. Maybe, maybe not. And we're going to try out a new hockey guest who does the power rankings column for NHL.com as a columnist there. And uh, his last name is spelled M-A-S-I-S-A-K. What do you think? M-A-S-I-S-I-K? A-K. I don't know. It's got to be Polish or Ukrainian or some Machiak, something like that. I'm going to have to ask him. Yeah. Because I have no idea. But he's on it. Him and Luke are on. And I don't know about Locke. We'll see. All right. All right. Uh, what else? We'll give an update date on the book club and, uh, we'll make our picks, but we're going to get started with, uh, three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep. All right, uh, starting things off with the NFL, woke up to the news that Cam Newton was in a serious car accident that doesn't seem to result in serious injuries for Cam Newton. So that's good. I don't know if he's going to miss any time. When we're recording this, this is very much in the uh, developing story column, but the Panthers played a fantastic game on Sunday. 
and have vaulted themselves at four wins into the uh, into the conversation. Into the conversation, yeah. and that would be a big blow if uh, if good old Cam couldn't be out there. I'll say this about Newton: as someone who's not a big fan of cheering for him, I've seen the best and the worst of him this year. He probably played his best game of the year against the Saints on Sunday, and probably played the worst game maybe of his career against the Saints on Thursday night earlier, where he only had ten completions in the whole game. Mm. And the way he handles the highs and lows makes me think he's never going to be the leader needed to take a team to where you would want him to be able to as a first overall pick. He certainly seems like a guy that feels the pressure on his shoulders. Like he feels the weight of the team. Uh, He knows the media is going to beat him up afterward. He doesn't handle it like Aaron Rodgers Telling everyone to relax. He's just not cool, you know. He's just right. He, he he's just too much of the chip on his shoulder. Yep. He started a fight because he's got to celebrate a touchdown, you know, while he's still standing over a guy in the end zone. He can't, you know, just take that extra step and then, you know, start the fight. So then one of his teammates has got to get kicked out of the game, and he's probably going to get a fine for that because he, he's just got to act like an idiot. And, you know, when he throws, I remember in that first Saints and uh, Panthers game, uh, Breeze had thrown a pick early and then Newton did. And the difference between the two guys going off the field, I mean, it's just night and day. Right. You know, cause, and especially since Newton's pick wasn't his fault. So, you know, one of those, it was a little high and a little hard, but it hit the guy's hands and he couldn't, you know, and Newton just walks off like he wants to slap the guy, you know, and. You know, Breezy throws his picks, he jogs off, and he's ready to come back out next drive. But yeah, I mean, some of the, I don't know. Brady will look like that, like he wants to kill a guy, and so will Peyton. So I mean, there's t- those are winners, though. Those sure, are guys with rings. Yeah, sure. I'm I'm just saying, just because he looks mad, but no, I I definitely agree that especially the way he handles the media, it's a guy that feels the pressure and it, it affects him. So speaking of quarterbacks, the Browns are going to go to. Johnny Manziel, is it is it one week too late? Yeah, it's what probably they, multiple weeks. What did too they late. see on film, quote unquote, from Hoyer? From Hoyer last week that they didn't see the week before. I don't know, and I don't watch the Browns a ton. I mean, I'll when they're not playing the Bills, I'll have the red zone on and I'll see them playing. And uh, I even said the one week if it wasn't for Dante Whitner being on that team, it'd be a team I'd kind of pull for. But from the sounds of it, the Bills game wasn't the first game that Hoyer was bad either. So they've kind of been winning despite him maybe. I don't know. Especially, It's especially surprising once you see when Manziel came on the field and looked pretty effective. I just wonder if maybe they think blowing that game to the Colts if they're, they're basically out of it now. So let's give them a few games. Yeah, I mean, I guess the Bills should feel that way too. But I guess if you're Buffalo, you figure you go out and win the next three, and you're ten and six still, and you still have a shot. Uh, maybe Denver was the toughest. The game Browns could play be ten and three. six. Browns could still be ten and six. So I don't know why they made the change and Buffalo didn't. Maybe I don't know. Honestly, I wouldn't have minded seeing uh, EJ Manuel in the Denver game. I've been saying for weeks. I just don't think the upside is enough for Orton to be out there. 
It has That's just been. not my opinion. No, you were right he's about just, that the whole season. He's uh, just not good enough to, to justify his spot on the field, Orton, in my opinion. Orton came in and made Watkins relevant the first few weeks, and now it's I don't know what the difference is between him and EJ Manuel for the most part. And EJ, when he got pulled, said all the right things, and he said, I'm going to let it loose when I get back on the field. So I'd let him play. And if they lose this week and don't let him play, then I – I can't stand that coach as it is already. I just I think he gets out coached every single week, uh, and if they don't put him in for the last two games, if they lose this week in a game they probably will lose, I, I don't know what they're thinking. In other uh, in other Manziel news, Marvin Lewis called him a midget. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I saw the story, but I didn't hear in what context. Obviously, not in the press, right? In the press, really? Yeah, he. Actually, that never happens. That someone would call someone out like that. Unless he's trying to get into his head. Like playing mind games. He, he was talking about changing the game plan and how you, you don't do it, especially for a midget. Wow. Wow. I mean, that from a guy that... That's a uh, paraphrase, by the way. Sure. But uh, Marvin Lewis has never done anything as a coach. So, I mean, he's taken his team to the playoffs a couple of times. But I don't, I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a head scratcher. Speaking of coaches trolling, did you see what Jeff Fisher did to troll the Redskins? I heard it. It slipped in my mind. The Rams and the Redskins played on Sunday, and for the coin toss, uh, Fisher sent out all six players that the Rams received in the RG3 trade to be the captains. (laughs) Okay, that's awesome. I did not hear that at all. And then... (laughs) And then to troll them again, when asked about it, he said, the Ra- the Redskins have problems a lot deeper than who we send out for a coin toss. <laughs> wow. So I'm not exactly sure what his anger, Jeff Fisher, what the Redskins have done to anger him. But uh, he's, he's more offended by the team name than most people, I guess. Speaking of trolling, and I don't, I know this isn't one of the three things, but if you're the Florida Panthers, who are a nobody in the NHL, you don't make fun of of an event where 13 people died because you have nice weather. Did you hear about that? Yes, yeah. Uh, Everyone has heard that we had a nasty winter snowstorm here. It killed 13 people in one way or another. And uh, Florida thought it would be funny to make fun of the Buffalo snowstorm and how they have it beautiful down there. Well, that would be the equivalent of us making fun of a hurricane, right? Like, do hurricanes kill that many more people than 13 Probably not. Bunch of assholes. Yeah, that, that, that's that's rough. And I guess Terry and uh, Kim Pagula were not happy, and I, I don't blame them. Stedman Bailey, Janoris Jenkins, Michael Brocker, Zach Stacy, Greg Robinson, and Alec Ogletree are the guys that the well, Rams got for RG. The Rams received for RG three. As a guy that drafted Zach Stacy, he that's the most he's seen in the football field. That was this their thing though. Like, was he doing anything wrong before they just arbitrarily, seemingly decided to start giving the ball to someone else? Benny Cunningham or whatever. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. None of them were really great. Trey Mason had that huge game. He did a couple weeks ago. Yep. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's pretty funny. I thought. I, I do like that. And one last sort of sad thing. It's official. Eric Berry has Hopkins lymphoma. Cancer. Pretty big mass on his chest, too. Ugh. Just brutal. Cancer is shit. Uh, it sucks. So 
we're all on Team Eric Berry here, and I'm sure, sure everyone yeah. is going to be all over the all over the league. Yeah, what are they saying? Uh, be they have something they're going on there. Be brave. Be some. Be something where the middle initials are EB. So, uh, yeah, I mean, best of luck to him. I'm sure he's got the best care in the world. So, and he's in great shape, obviously. So, hopefully, he can pull through. Second thing for today: the first college football playoff was announced, and it was announced not without the I know drama already. Right? Drama. Uh, that usually accompanied the BCS. So last week, uh, the rankings were released. And I had talked last week about these rankings with Stuart Mandel. And I said to him that I thought it was a mistake to be releasing them every week. Because they never... It, it didn't matter. Like that day that... You know, that day that... uh three teams from the SEC West were of the four teams in it. That was stupid because those teams hadn't played each other and teams were going to lose and only one team. That was just never going to happen. So what point does it have to release a ranking and and say if if it ended today, these would be the four teams in? doesn't make any sense to me. And the 15th week of the season, uh, the playoff picture was this. Alabama 1, Oregon 2, TCU 3, Florida State 4. Oh, TCU did make it. This was after week 15. Oh, okay. There's 16 weeks. Gotcha. Ohio State was 5, Baylor was 6. Baylor, who had beaten TCU. (laughs) Week goes by, everybody wins. Everybody wins relatively handily. And TCU drops from 3 to 6. And Ohio State moves up. Ohio State is the fourth team. They'll play Alabama. Oregon is two. They'll play Florida State, which is a pretty sweet-sounding game. And I got to say, I don't get it. Uh, TCU still in the top four, though? No, TCU dropped from three to six. Oh, I mean, who was the other? Okay, Baylor was not in the top four then either, then. Right, Baylor jumped TCU. (laughs) Okay. So Baylor is the one who just missed, not TCU. Gotcha. TCU dropped from three to six after winning a game by I don't know fifty points or whatever. Yeah, that's that's rough. Uh, I'm not a big college guy, but Eric Wood, the Buffalo Bills center, is, and I heard him interviewed about this, and he's pretty he's a pretty candid guy. He he he's he's smart. He maybe isn't the best center of all time or anything, but. Uh, he's a really smart guy, and he knows what he can and can't say about the NFL. Uh, but he said he's very open about college, and he said Ohio State got in because they're Ohio State. Not, He said one of those two teams below them probably deserved to be in. Well, TCU has got to just be saying, like, what do we have to do? If it was 100-3 to in our game? We just... <laughs> TCU so beat Baylor? The only said? reason this is an issue, again, is because they released it. Yeah, the rankings were clearly just incomplete, and the committee held the fact that the Big Twelve doesn't ha- didn't name a true champion against them. Right, and Baylor TCU tied for the championship. They didn't even declare Baylor the victory based on the head-to-head defeat. They called them co-champions. Okay, and it kept both of them out. So it's ridiculous that I mean it's extra ridiculous in that. The teams did all they could 
from one week to the next and everything got switched because nothing nothing that happened in the in week 16 should have changed anything so just is it just as ridiculous though would it I know you're saying what you're saying. I don't have any problem with the four teams that got in. You don't have a problem with Ohio State making it in? No, there's just no reason to to justify TCU dropping from three to six in that week. Right, okay. Okay, yeah, I I totally get that. I wasn't sure if there was an argument to be made that Ohio State didn't even belong there. Ohio State's on their third-string quarterback. Mm. You know, but they they had one game to prove that they could win with that quarterback in there. Right. And they did so very impressively over a decent Wisconsin team. You know, so but I think I mean when you're talking about Thursday, January first, and you got a five o'clock game against Oregon, Florida State, and an eight thirty against Alabama, Ohio State, and these are playoff games, I mean that doesn't sure doesn't get much better than that. I don't think. So what are the uh, what about these other bowls? You wanna talk about some of these are gonna bring you to the set? I heard uh well, I'll probably watch them if I happen to be watching. I don't, I don't have any appointment TV, but I heard that they're they're talking about how there maybe aren't enough bowls in college. Really, not enough. Yeah, <laughs> which seems ridiculous. Nevada, Louisiana Lafayette, very first bowl game, Saturday, December twentieth, uh, eleven o'clock on ESPN. You there? No, no. Did you see the article about the swag they're giving out? To some of the the bowl contenders, no, but I know they get nice shit. Yeah, some of them do, and they they like. I think it was Deadspin or somebody ranked the top three uh, gifts given out in the worst three, and like one of the worst three like involved getting a hair dryer. <laughs> like I think you got some other stuff too, but like the big thing was a hair dryer. They don't have enough bowl games, but they do have at least enough to have the Duck Commander Independence Bowl. <laughs> Between six and six Miami and six and six South Carolina. How many college teams are there? Two hundred something. A lot. I'm trying to find one between ranked teams, and I'm struggling. Wow. Georgia and Louisville are two ranked teams playing each other. What happened to Oklahoma? Did they lose? They play Clemson. Eh, those are names. On the 29th. Clemson not ranked though. Oklahoma's not ranked. Oh really? They f- they, they lost the Bedlam game. So they're leading all day. They're up by seven. Uh, they they get a pick. So like in the last two minutes. Okay. Do nothing with the ball. But the pick was like at midfield, so they're just going to pin them back. There's going to be pretty much no time left. Right. 92-yard punt return. Oh. Touchdown to tie. Overtime. Okay, and maybe then I it, do remember that. Then in overtime, Oklahoma's kicker missed his field goal on their drive. and. Uh. Uh, and uh, Oklahoma State won Bedlam. All right, you know it it's it's good to lose Bedlam in a year like this because you're going to lose that game once in a while. Why not this year? Sure, who cares, right? Right. But uh, TCU will miss, so TCU doesn't get to play in the playoffs, but they get to play a nine-win SEC team. Now, here's where, here's how you'd get me to a game, I guess, and this is our our third thing. Um. Tell me that there's a quarterback that's going to be around in the second round of the draft that is looks like he could be the real deal, but like maybe there's some question marks, like a Russell Wilson type guy, and then maybe I will watch and hope the Bills pick him up. Well, our third thing was the Heisman finalists. Yeah, we talked last week about how 
they just shouldn't even get one out this year. I'm going to tell you right now, the highlight of Heisman Trophy night is the U Part 2, the 30 for 30 documentary. Okay. Which airs after it. Okay. I said on Twitter that if there was a $100 option to watch it right now on pay-per-view, I'd strongly consider it. Probably wouldn't do it for 100 50 they'd probably they'd, they'd have me really thinking. Wow. 25 no doubt, I'd pay it. Hmm. The U Part 1 was great. I can't wait for the U Part 2. The U Part 2... It's got really modern, you know, it's the second run, the Shockey themes. And, oh, okay. You know, it's, it's going to be great. But Amari Cooper, what team, what position, quick? <laughs> I don't know. My first thought is wide receiver, but isn't there like another? That's correct. Oh, wide sick. receiver. <laughs> what team? No idea. Alabama. Okay. Melvin Gordon, team, position, go. Melvin Gordon. Sounds like a lineman. No. Darn it. Another receiver. No. <laughs> Running back. Yes. Actually, linemen are never up for these things, right? That was a terrible guess. The Heisman? The linemen? Yeah. Could you imagine? Yeah. They're like ne- Jake Matt. Congratulations <laughs> to Jake Matthews on the Heisman. Yeah. He had 29 pancakes this year to lead all. Who was that guy that got drafted that never allowed a sack through all of college? Like He would probably would have been up for it if they're ever going to be up for him. And the third one, Marcus Mariota. It's got to be a quarterback. He's right? a quarterback, yes. Who does he play for? No. Come idea. on. USC. <sighs> Oklahoma, UB. <laughs> you really, Baylor. you really don't know that Marcus Mariota plays for Baylor. You really didn't know that. No, I did not. Is he going to be one of the guys I should watch for the? Bears? How do you host this show? <laughs> I don't watch college ever. He's not going to play for the Bills. No, he's probably going to be the first quarterback off the board. And they're going to—they're good enough to be drafted in the first round this year. The quarterback. The top one is good enough to be drafted in the first round. All yes. right. Oh man! Well, the year Manuel was drafted, none of them were good enough to be drafted in the first round. Apparently, that, uh, that I didn't that, know if it was that type of year. That could be, that could be true. I have a list of draft prospects to see what what bowl game we might bring you to. See, but here's the stupid thing about this. Now, they they have like, oh, okay, never mind. I see why. I'll switch it. So I said they have like 30 quarterbacks listed, uh, but it was, it wasn't sorted by quarterback yet. Okay. So CBS.com, this is who they they list two, and everyone seems to agree with this. There's two first-round quarterbacks. Okay. Mariota, and who's the other one? I don't know. Come on! <laughs> Should I know? Yes! Tell me, maybe I'll know it once I hear it. Winston. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. All right, so the second-round quarterbacks, there's two. They really think someone would touch Winston in the first round, huh? He's got to come out first. Oh, okay. You know he's only he seems a redshirt like sophomore. Such an idiot. And I know we've we've kind of taken a stand on kids are kids and they can grow up. But boy, he's he'll he'll test somebody. You know what's really funny is I was like screaming at you for not knowing Mariota plays for Baylor, but he plays for Oregon. Oh, <laughs> I don't know why I was saying Baylor. I mean, I said Baylor. Maybe you, you said Baylor. So yeah, is I, that one of my guesses? But it'd be really. I mean. Do you realize how dumb I like I've sounded? Like people are probably just like, does Steve really think that Mariota <laughs> plays for Baylor? No, I don't. I know that Bryce Petty plays for Baylor, not Mariota. Okay, Petty's a name I've heard, but like I yeah. said, I read an article about the guys that might be around when the Bills pick. So in the playoff, I mean, Petty is a guy you could get in the third round. He'll be playing in the playoff. All right, you're not getting Mariota, but he'll be in the playoff. All right. Uh, Brett Hungley from UCLA, second That's round grade. I've heard. Okay. Yeah. Prescott from Mississippi State looked good all year. He's got to come out early too. 
second round grade. He could be there. All right, so that's what I'll be watching for. I'll be watching for those names. But, yeah, so the Heisman, who wins it? Oh, Mariota's going to win. It's the quarterback? Yeah, from Oregon. Okay. <laughs> Not Baylor. That one. That Mariota. Oh, God, what a clown show. <laughs> what a clown act we are. Let's take a break and come back with anyone besides Somebody. us. <laughs> Our next guest is from Wisconsin and is a graduate of Northwestern. He's a full-time college basketball writer for Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. And he's making his seventh appearance on the podcast today. Warm sportscasters, welcome to Luke Wynn. What's up, Luke? How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to catch up, talk a little college basketball. The first big college basketball moment of the year for me was uh, uh, texting with my brother who plays hockey at Yale. And uh, he, he's uh, out right now with an ankle injury. And we were texting during one of the Yale hockey games. And he said, dude... Turn the basketball game on. There's a big buzz in the in the rink here. We're going to beat UConn, and I turn it on, and literally, I don't know, two seconds before the ball went into the net, the the three pointer. So what is going on with UConn? They're using, they're losing to Yale at home. Well, I think it's a few things. I mean, for one, UConn is UConn struggling to score a little bit. I know that. I mean, they were ranked in the they were ranked in the early season, but I don't know. I, I think the impact of losing you know everyone looked at losing Napier and knew that was going to be a problem just because he was this incredible all-around guard but kind of figured maybe Boatwright could just take on a bigger load and they would be decent again but I think that what was underestimated was maybe that they also had two really good um, floor spacing forwards last year and DeAndre Daniels and Niles Jafai and uh, who, who were really excellent three-point shooters um, and they don't really have that. They don't have that this year. Um, they, they're kind of, I think they're struggling to shoot the ball. And um, the, you, Kevin Ollie's a good defensive coach. And I think that'll be there no matter what. But they're still, they're still trying to figure out how to score. The other side of it is that the Ivy League is really good this year. And I mean, that's, that's, that's something that needs to be acknowledged is that Yale is actually like a top 100 team this year. I don't know if, I don't know if the Ivy League is good enough to get two bids to the NCAA tournament, but this is probably the best version of the Ivy League that I can remember in that Harvard is a top 25 caliber team. Yale's beating UConn, and it's not a total fluke. Um, you know, Columbia and Princeton are decent. Brown just beat Providence at Providence last night. So you're seeing, you know, you're, you're seeing some interesting stuff happen at the Ivy. It's not like your normal, you know, weak Ivy that, you know, has a... 16, you know, that it has a 15 or 16 seed. Um, this is like a legitimate league with a, you know, with I don't think it would be like a crime if two teams made it in the term. It's kind of an interesting period for the Ivies in general. I mean, had a pretty good year in football this year with Harvard and Yale. Uh, and Yale had a guy he's getting invited to the Senior Bowl. You know, Yale Hockey won the National Championship a couple of years ago. They're winning NCAA basketball games. So the Ivy League's a little bit better athletically maybe than it was 15 years ago in general. But yeah, still, I agree. you still don't expect UConn to lose at home to uh, TL. I thought someone posted a video of I wanted to play it for you of them uh, of the announcer in the Yale Arena 
announcing the final score in the basketball game, but I guess I'm not going to be able to find it. It was. I've not seen this yet, but it, if you want, if you want to pipe it into the podcast, yeah, I, I, I can't find it. I could have swore, I could have swore someone posted it, but maybe I was just believing that in my head. I don't know. Anyway, uh, moving on from uh, from the L uh, victory, uh, I want to ask you something about the the ish, the uh, the preview issue you guys put out, which was which was which was awesome this year. I think you had, your article was about Wisconsin. Am I right about that? Yes, I did Wisconsin and as well as, and then Dan Hanner and I worked on a statistical projection system to project stats for pretty much every player on every, out of every major conference team and plus based our rankings off of it. That was the, that was the major project. And then in that issue, Scott Price writes one of the most talked about stories in sports journalism of the year. When something like that happens in an issue that you've worked hard, so hard on, does that like, do you get pumped about that? Like, wow, you know, this piece is in there with all all this other work that I worked really hard on, and just be, I mean, we're gonna get so many more eyeballs on all this other stuff because people want to find uh, this piece that one. It's one of the most talked about pieces. Or with the way things are set up now, does it kind of just get people just kind of find that on the internet and it's sort of disassociated with the fact that it was part of the college basketball preview issue? I hope that it's what you, I hope that it's the former and that people will, um, I mean, I think it's a really cool thing to, I, I thought it just added this really good mix to the issue in that, you know, you tend to be talking about highly ranked teams and things like that, and that was kind of my responsibility there, but, but what Scott did with a completely obscure army player was remarkable and i thought that it added it added this great balance to it of just this incredible you know story that i don't think anyone knew about um the way people discovered it i don't know i mean i think we tend to only see the discussion that happens online and so maybe that tilts us in and makes us think that people are only discovering i mean you see the, the most prominent place where stories are discussed now is on twitter and I find that with magazine stories that SI does not post online, it's hard for them to be discussed there. I don't think that means right. no one reads them because there's like 3.2 million copies of the magazine floating around. Someone's reading it. It's just, I just think that if those people aren't talking about it on Twitter, that doesn't mean it's, it's nowhere, you know, but, but it can feel that way because you get sort of conditioned to maybe looking for responses on there. Um, it, it happens. I have to remind myself that there's three million magazines floating around. Someone's finding it. <laughs> yeah, I, I just yeah. remember thinking, like, you know, wow, you can forget some sometimes how good SI can do something. But here's their college basketball preview. You have all this great stuff that Luke and and what was the other guy's name? I'm sorry, I, I didn't know him. So Dan, Dan, oh, Dan Hanner. He, he yeah. this, is, this was his debut in the magazine. He had been doing some. Uh, he's a economist with the Federal Trade Commission. <laughs> And he, uh, he he also writes for Real GM, and we brought him on on a kind of a contract to do help to do this statistical analysis project. So yes, his debut, he was excited. He got his name on the cover. Well, it's congrats good. on that. You guys <laughs> yeah. had a killer, killer, uh, killer issue last year. I think going into the season, we, there was a lot of talk about the guys we knew were only going to play college basketball one year and how that was going to affect the landscape. Are we? Do we have that again this year? Is it different? Is there? A team lurking with a lot of uh, a lot more seniors than usual. 
what's just going into the season? What's the general feel of what we're going to get this year? I feel like that that Duke Wisconsin game that you saw last week was kind of a, maybe a good representation of what the season is. You know, what the season is like, um, and, and that you had you know you have the one and done. You had the one and done freshman uh, Jaleel right. Okafor against a senior big man, Frank Kaminsky, and a, and a Wisconsin team that is, you know, veterans returning from a Final Four. It's a mi- the season's a mix. It's like you have, you know, you have Okafor and Tyus Jones and Justice Winslow at Duke, and you have, um, you know, you have guys like Carl Towns at Kentucky. But I think that equally, if not more prominent, are guys who came back. It's like Kaminsky, it's Sam Decker, it's Willie Cauley-Stein is, to me, is, you know, leading this defensive charge at Kentucky that could be a historically great defense. So, it's not, so it's, to me, it's a mix of, you know, these one-and-done freshmen have their prominent place because they're, they're some of the best players out there and they're going to be top five picks in the draft, but when it, the national title race is, you know, the seniors and the juniors are going to have equal say in it. When, you know, for a while, the narrative coming out of Duke was that they wanted to to build their team uh, the way they had before the one-and-done uh, phenomenon started, and it seemed like they fought that for a while, and now back-to-back years you could make an argument that they have the most prominent one-and-done player on their team. Did something change there? Am I... Because I'm pretty sure that that, that was uh, Coach K's stance there for a bit, and seems like he's made a, a 180 on that. Well, I think he's he's found that <laughs> I don't know if it was just that he couldn't that he just didn't get them, or I mean, he's just on a nice run of recruiting that's been helped by his prominence from coaching the Olympic team, I think, and his association with some of the NBA guys, and you know, showing that he you know what's what's new this year is that he hadn't. You know, to me, he didn't have like the the great big man. Duke could have problems recruiting great big men for a while, and I think Okafor is really the first like big center prospect they've had in a long time. Because for whatever reason, you know, because they had assistants who were all guards at the time, and um, maybe they didn't have a reputation for producing post guys. They, you know, they they weren't they were missing out on some of these guys. So Okafor changes that a little bit because before, you know, you had Kyrie and Jabari were both. Uh, kind of Kyrie's point guard, Jabari's inside out. Um, but Jaleel's different in that way. Jaleel is a throwback classic post guy who's, you know, th- who's plays back to the basket. He doesn't, he knows, he knows where he's best on the court. And he's, you know, you saw him like muscling with Kaminsky going head to head with him in the post, which is pretty cool. When we talked about doing this, we always do this at the beginning of the year. We talk a little bit about, uh, about what to expect during the season, and you know, you had said, "Give me a couple weeks. I wanna, I wanna watch some stuff. I want, let's talk in December." What have you learned? What did you learn watching uh, the first ten? Every, you know, most teams have played somewhere between you know, seven and nine games, something like that. Uh, what's changed? What stays the same? What did you learn in that time where you kind of wanted to wait to do this spot? I think some stuff that I, you know, maybe was wrong about, you know, from things that have been different than preseason assumptions. Um, one would be, I, you know, I mentioned the Kentucky's defense is way better than, you know, we ranked them number one, but I think that was just a base, based on like a cumulative assumption of them having the most talent, you know, quality on both sides of the ball, but their defense has been beyond, well beyond what I thought it was going to be. I didn't realize how good 
how big the impact would be of playing like two seven footers at a time and you know protecting the rim while also pressuring the ball tyler ulis who they brought in is kind of their backup point guard has been amazing you know pressuring the ball arizona's defense on the other side i thought it might be the best one in the country coming into the season and i think they've taken a little bit of a step back i maybe underestimated the impact of losing aaron gordon and nick johnson the pros and assumed that everyone would kind of step up in their place but they're not they're not defending at that like incredible level yet. They're 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 just like a step back, not terrible, but I think it makes you reevaluate where they're at as a title contender. Um, one cool surprise, I mean, uh, Gonzaga, although they lost at Arizona, um, they Domus Sabonis, who's Arvidas' Sabonis son, who I wrote about in the in issue before the preview issue. I wrote about him because I thought it was a cool story of just getting to come to the U.S. After his, you know, his father had been kind of blocked from playing in America during his prime, and he's been, Domus, his son has been way better than I expected. He's been this like, you know, force in the post, and 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 he's not only the, he's not the only like European surprise too. Uh, Utah has a guy named Jakob Pertl, who's an Austrian seven footer who I don't really know anything about coming into the year. I feel bad that I didn't, but he's been he's like the best offensive rebounder in the country and he's kind of a big reason why they look like a kind of dark horse team in the Pac-12 and they're now, you know, like a top 15 team in the country. Wichita and San Diego State, the big mid-majors again this year? Butler in there as well? Who else? Well, I don't know if that, you know, like I wouldn't say, like Butler with a move to the Big East, I don't know if you call them that any. You That's know, I don't right, yeah. call them yep. that anymore. So, yep. I, right. I mean, San Diego... I guess you could make a ruling whether you call the Mountain West either way. Wichita, so let's say Wichita, yes, for sure. I mean, okay. they lost at Utah, but that was an overtime game, extremely close. I think, I think, I mean, Wichita, I don't know if there's much of a title contender without Clay Anthony early, but I still think they could go. I mean, I think they could win like 28, 28 games. You know, they could go like 28, 29, 30 games again. They're that good. So they don't play, and there's, and there's, in the, Missouri Valley Conference only has a few other decent teams. I guess it's Northern Iowa, and then after that, it drops off pretty heavily. So they're only going to – I really only see them losing like two, three times max the rest of the year. Um, and then Gonzaga I still consider, just because they're a conference mid-major, um, quietly like Har- you know Harvard, which you mentioned, the Ivy, that counts. They're kind of lurking the outside of the top 25. Um and then after that, you're dropping down to teams like Green Bay. Uh, didn't have the greatest early season, but I think they'll probably win the Horizon League. And they've got the kind of guard play to surprise, you know, they could possibly surprise people. Um, they beat Miami at Miami on Saturday. So that's that's another one that's a little under the radar to look for. It's Kiefer Sykes and Green Bay out of the Horizon League, which was Butler's former conference before, you know, before it started moving up in the world. Do you get the feeling a little bit that this is a year about the big boys? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I think I think it's really, you know, you're looking at those teams like it's Kentucky, Duke. I mean, we, I, Wisconsin's kind of a newcomer in the national power conversation, but it's right there. It's, for me, it's Kentucky, Duke, Wisconsin, you know, Arizona, and then everyone else, and then you've got that next tier of like Virginia, Louisville, Villanova. Those are all big name teams. Virginia is a different name for a top five, though. Sure, sure. It's yeah. and you're finally seeing, 
you know, I think everyone always thought Tony Bennett was an excellent coach, but he's 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 amassed. He's playing the kind of defense they've always played, but but he's amassed this level of talent where it's you know you've got long, talented guys playing his pack line defense, and you're seeing what it can do when those two things mix. And it's a it's not the most exciting thing because it just takes. I mean it takes so long to try to get a good shot against them that I think that, you know, team, teams just, na- the opponents naturally have to wind down the shot clock and just go side to side with the ball and then end up taking like a kind of a bad contested jumper at the end. So it's not, it's a formula for success that does not make for the greatest television, but they're defensively, they're just so sound and it's just, and, and it's, you know what they're trying to do. It's, it's just kind of like, it's really hard to drive the ball against them. They'll they'll let you take a contested jumper, but they're going to cut off a lot of other stuff to make it hard to feed the post, hard to attack the rim, um, and uh, they're going to be they're going to be right up there with Duke and Louisville at the top of the ACC. Who are your climbers this year? Who are some teams that you know November December we're not looking at them as, as top ten teams, but play together a little bit more? You know, Jal. Coach up. Who who are some teams you look at that you can see climbing and, and being, you know, top three seeds in in the in in a bracket or top four seeds in a bracket in the tournament? Who who aren't traditional? You're saying? Well, or? they could be traditional, but just right now you're just not looking at them as that kind of a team. You know, like Michigan State is 23rd in the country right now. So if that was your answer, they'd be a traditional program that you could see climbing. But uh, just someone who you know right now is just off the radar as being a true. Uh, a team that you, if you were going to make a bracket right now, that you'd put in that 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 top, but that you think can build to that point, that they just need the, yeah. the time. You know, I think that you could see, you know, Florida is a team that was easy to write off after, I guess, a, pretty, a horrible November. Lost to Miami, Georgetown, Carolina, didn't look at it, Kansas. I'm not willing to give up on them yet just because they have – they have a lot of talent. Billy Donovan just has a good track record of getting teams together late. So even though they're four and four, I'm not. Maybe it's maybe it's too late to get a top three seed, but I could see them kind of storming back in the SEC, just given how weak it is, and you know finishing second in the league with a really good record, and you know being back, maybe being a four seed. I, I think that's one to not give up on. Um, another one, maybe we're not talking about. As much, um, I, th- I think Georgetown kind of by losing, they lost. They went to the uh, battle for Atlantis, and they they lost to Wisconsin and Butler there. That was kind of you know disappointing for them. I think that's a disappointing result for them there. But I could see them kind of coming back and being a, a surprisingly good team in the Big East, possibly the second best team in the Big East. And so, if they do that, that puts them in decent position. Oh, geez, these websites with the pop-up video. Sorry about that. I was looking at it. I wanted to look at their results in front of me, and some video started playing. Sorry about that. Go ahead. No, it's all right. I'm, I'm, I can get distracted by the video, by, by the internet, while we're doing this as well. I'm, as, as we do this right now, I filmed a video for SI.com this morning, and I'm being mocked by Matt Lorlander of CBS as we speak live about <laughs> the clothing that I wore in it. And I'm, t- and I'm I don't want to start replying now because then I'm taking my attention away from the podcast, but I'm, but I'm, uh, is you know, it, consider it. <laughs> so what was, uh, what was the, what was the subject of the video? Was it up? 
I don't even know. I, apparently, the the apparel, the whatever we wore, is overwhelming. Whatever we even talked about, it was just a it was a college basketball video. We talked about Kentucky. It could have been the same, same kind of stuff we're talking about now. It was, gotcha. Uh, yes. That uh, what I was looking to see what, before that. You mentioned that tournament. Was that the tournament that Oklahoma played in and lost to Wisconsin in the final? Same one. Same tournament, Battle for Atlantis, the most loaded preseason tournament of of uh. 2014 that was really really good field when you go to a tournament like that you know you, you're gonna you probably you, you get a chance to to maybe get a big win you might you might lose a game you might lose two games uh is it is it hard to get coaches to want to do something like that so early uh as there are certain teams that would be more likely because it gives them a chance to build a resume early uh what does a tournament like that do? Maybe Oklahoma is the perfect case, uh, you know, where they lose a game to Wisconsin, but they also got a chance to beat a top 25 team and make it to the final in a really loaded tournament. That might look really good for them later. Um, what about those early tournaments and, and how uh, coaches maybe? I, I think that I mean, most coaches like them, I think, because you – one, if you do, if you play them with the good ones, they pay for your team. To, they pay for your team to be there, so it's not like, um, you know, it's a pretty good deal to get paid to go to the Bahamas uh, and play three games. And when you're, you know, let's say, and otherwise be in Wisconsin in November, um, and I think it, a neutral setting is sometimes preferable than playing. You know, if you if you want to play, like if you're if you're a big time team and you want to play another elite team. You can, you're, you're going to need to schedule a multi-year contract with them. It's going to be a home and home, or you know, something like that. Like this allows you to kind of not have to get into con- just play one neutral site game against a team. Kind of keep your schedule mixed up. Um, you know, play. Get, it's pretty much guaranteeing you probably two, if not three, quality opponents early season, which helps your NCAA tournament. You know, profile. I think it's all. I think it's all good. And and as a college basketball journalist, like I root for this stuff because it's just kind of sad that some of the some teams opt for just really weak home scheduling, and this is almost like forcing them into better, better, more competitive environments, which makes for better TV and it makes them easier to evaluate too. Do you think Oklahoma can compete with Kansas and uh, Texas in the Big Twelve at all this year? I always write the, I always write them off, and you get mad at me. This is the year I think they're good enough to do it. I think that they they've almost reversed course a little bit in that uh, I thought the previous two years when you asked about them, and they made the NCAA tournament both times. They weren't terrible, right. but they didn't they didn't really guard. Like they were just not playing defense at the at the level that you know to actually challenge for a Big Twelve title and. This year they are. It's this year they've kind of added that element, and it's not that they've changed personnel so much, other than adding to Sean Thomas. They've added uh, the Houston transfer. I think that was a pretty big addition. But otherwise, the personnel is the same. It's just they've seemed more committed on the defensive end, and um, and the Big Twelve is difficult, but maybe more open than it has been in that. Kansas is good, but Kansas is vulnerable this year, I think, by not having the greatest backcourt. Um, you know, you saw them struggle a lot against Kentucky. They've rebounded, but but they're they're no lock to win at all. I just, you know, Oklahoma's also, <laughs> Texas, when they get Isaiah Taylor back, is excellent. Baylor quietly is pretty decent, and Iowa State's a sleeper to win it, too. West Virginia is a surprise team early wow. on. 
Like TCU is still undefeated. They're not going to win the conference, but top to bottom, the league, the league only really has one bad team, and that's Texas Tech. And everyone else is pretty decent. Is you know decent to good this year. So I think it's the toughest top to bottom league. It doesn't have the kind of uh, national title contenders that like the ACC has, or you know the Big Ten has Wisconsin and the Pac-12. I don't think it has a team I'd pick the national title, but top to bottom competitiveness is probably the best. You know how much I love your power ranks column. It still blows me away that you do this all by yourself, the layout and, and everything about it. It's great, and it's a new website this year at SI, and I was just wondering, um, is there certain things about the new website, uh, about the evolution of Sports Illustrated as a multimedia company in general, that is going to help you with this column, that's going to make some of the things that you do well uh, as a columnist the things that you've always used to enhance your columns you do so well is the new website, the new platforms, maybe the 120 stuff, uh, all the things that SI is trying to incorporate to be more than just a magazine. Uh, Where does Luke Wynn fit into that, and are there things that really excite you about it? Um, I think that, well, I mean, we're doing more, I think we're recording more video, at least, you know, with us being on sets. But But I think in terms of what happens in the power rankings, that is pretty much just dependent on what I can produce on my own because I, I kind of want to be self-sufficient because it's it's such a quick turner. It's it's kind of like a quick turnaround in that you know you have to kind of you have to be cognizant and include what happens in games that happen Wednesday night and you're publishing something on Thursday. So I think realistically you have to do what you can do yourself. So that's so it's I think it relies on what I can design in my own graphics and what I can do in Excel within a 24 to 48 hour span. You that know, makes sense. Games from Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. But it, that's, I mean, that's just how, I think it's just because of the time frame. but SI as a company is putting more effort into, you know, into video as a whole. I think you've just seen more video on the site in general um, that, that across the board. That I, they're putting I didn't a have a problem with the jacket. I don't, I think it's. I feel like the whole, the whole, the whole um, world of like sports writers insulting other sports writers over fashion things just baffles me because it's just we're we're the last people that that should be qualified to judge anyone's anyone's uh, dress. <laughs> given yeah. like if you, you get a shot of presser during games. <laughs> I have no idea what I would have worn, but I have no problem with that jacket. So that that guy needs to back off, my boy here. That jacket was just fine. Uh, Luke Wynn is at Luke Wynn on Twitter. He writes to Sports Illustrated. His college basketball power rankings column is the best power rankings column on the internet for sure. And actually, the uh, there's a guy who does uh, one for NHL.com. And I was looking at it. I was like, wow, this is pretty good. Uh, this is really cool. Some really cool stuff. And I reached out to him on Twitter. And I said, I really like your power rankings column. Kind of rem- reminding me of the uh, the one that Luke Wynn does for SI. And the guy's like, oh, I love Luke Wynn. And, and yeah, I, I definitely incorporated some of what he does into mine. So you're a trendsetter out there. Oh, man, I had no idea. That make, that warm, warms my heart, Stephen. That, yeah. That it's spreading to all, to all those sports I don't even follow. Yeah, NHL.com. Go out there. Just go to it and check out the Power Rankings column and look at it. And you're going to be like, wow. This, you, you, all right. It's, it's kind of like it's, it's probably. I'm going like, to read my first hockey column. Yeah. The, guy, uh, the guy's name is. Um, uh, what is his name? 
I don't know that it matters. There's only one power rankings column on NHL.com, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, I, could... I, I mentioned right to him, like, you know, Luke Wynn, he's, he's one of our guys, and, and your, your column looks like his. And he's like, yeah, I love his column, and I definitely wanted to do some of the things he was doing with it as opposed to just, you know, listing the teams and the records and things like that. So, Cool. The Beatles of uh, power rankings column, Luke Wynn. Oh, don't want to do that. Uh, I, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks, uh, bud. It's good, it good talking to you. I'm glad I could tell you something positive about Oklahoma for yeah. you know first time in the history of our, our rankings because I do like that team a lot this year. So Before we go, do you want to talk Canisius, Niagara, UB, and uh, whoever the other team they pretend is in that? You know, I do know something, but I, I did I did look at them this year because of they they had that uh, they, they wore those throwback jerseys for the what was it called the Big Four? It was the it's, Big Four. The Big class. Four, but I can't even think of yeah. who the fourth team is. Must be St. Bonaventure. Yeah, so it was St. Bonaventure. Yeah, okay, yeah. But they wore those classic like diagonally striped jerseys. It was kind of the most. Since we're talking about fashion earlier, I enjoyed that these teams did multiple throwback jerseys for a game just to, for a game that as far as I know it wasn't on t- available on TV for me it was just for a, you know a game with a pretty small crowd um, up there they, they they did throwbacks to kind of honor I think the Buffalo Braves era uh, jerseys yeah. so yeah, so props to them for doing that because the, the photos I saw of it were legit the big four basketball is one of those things that exists in everyone's past here. Like, you know, you can't avoid, like a, like, a Christmas or Thanksgiving where some elderly person there is just insisting on telling you how huge the big four basketball games were here, you know, back when everyone was smoking and the odd and, you know, keep, uh, keeping score and had a roll-up newspaper in their hand. And I'm just like, well, all right, I'll believe you, but I can promise you right now that there's, there's nobody who cares besides the parents of the players. And maybe some of the students there, but people insist on it here that it was it was something big. That if we would have done this, I don't know how many years ago we'd have to go back. That that would have been a big topic. Yeah, um, I got nothing more for you on it, so I won't. I won't stretch myself on it and embarrass myself. I knew about the jerseys. The rest Sweet. is up to you if you want to continue that discussion. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Luke. Talk Later to you soon, bud. Thanks for me on. All right, it's Steve on Thursday, and nerdy music, nerdy video game music always means nerdy book talk here on the Sportscasters. A couple things I wanted to mention. First, I want to thank Luke Wynn for being on the show. Uh, As we kind of signed off on Tuesday, we mentioned that we thought Luke would be on, but we weren't really sure who else was going to be on. And uh, I want to thank Luke for doing the show. Uh, Our next guest is a guy who's going to be uh, quite similar to Luke, uh, does the power rankings on NHL.com, and I think you're going to like that for sure. Uh, as for the book club, we're working on a few things this month. Uh, we're working on The Death of WCW, the 10th anniversary edition of the best-selling classic by R.D. Reynolds and Brian Alvarez. And we're also working on another book from the same publishing company, Hockey Card Stories by Ken Reed's True Tales from 59 of your favorite players. And then also the Al Michaels book, which was co-written by John Wertheim. And 
I was looking at the calendar today, realizing there's not very many shows left in season four or 2014. So I don't know if we're going to get to all these authors and all these books before we take off for Christmas, but we'll try. I actually woke up today to a message from a listener uh, correcting me for a mistake that I made in 2012, uh, which is always great to uh, it's always great to know that uh, the mistakes you make in 2012. I mean, and I was, th- I was laughing about it because you know they haven't even heard this podcast yet, where I talk about how uh, Marcus Mariota plays for uh, plays for Baylor. So maybe in 2020. Uh, someone can message me on on Twitter and tell me what I'm what an idiot I am for for saying he played <laughs> the Heisman Trophy winner in 2014 played for Baylor, and not uh, Oregon. Uh, but I'm sick as a dog, so I'm kind of mumbling here. Uh, I need to get this stuff finished, get the podcast up, and go to sleep. Uh, we're gonna take a break and come back with uh, a new a new hockey guy, and uh, I hope you're gonna like it. <laughs> Our next guest is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and is a graduate of Maryland. He's a staff writer at NHL.com and is making his first appearance on the Sportscasters today. A warm welcome to Corey Massack. What's up, Corey? Hey, man. How are you? Pretty good. We were just talking about the uh, ironic Maryland thing there. The, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I was uh, sitting at a, at a bar in northern Virginia, I think it was this past summer. It was it was pretty recently, and um, Greg Wyshynski and Sean Gentili and I realized that we spent twelve years at the University of Maryland consecutively without ever actually being there at the same time. So that was uh, I'm Greg is four years older than me, and I'm four years older than Sean. And I guess technically I was there for half of a semester with Sean, but I wasn't uh, doing a whole lot of schoolwork at that time. So. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't know who you were. <laughs> um, that that sounds really bad, but um, I didn't know who you were. But I guess we don't know who anyone is until we know who they are, right? So I mean, that's true of everyone I've ever had on the podcast. I didn't know who they were until I knew who they were. Uh, right. And I was at um, Chipotle killing some time one day, and just kind of flipping through some articles, and there was a power, an NHL power rankings column, and. I was just looking through it and thinking, like, wow, this is really cool. Um, it's not just this list of teams with a with a sentence or two about why. And I think I touched base with you and it said that it sort of reminded me a lot of the way Luke Wynn does his power rankings column for, uh, for SI.com and college basketball. And Luke's a regular on the podcast. And I think you responded back saying that, uh, that you knew Luke's column and, um, and sort of agreed with me on that. Yeah, well, uh, I could go a little further than that. But basically, like I mean, I, I'm a you know a big college football, college basketball fan, and I I read Luke's uh, power rankings all the time. And uh, well, basically, we had somebody who did the power rankings for uh, several years, uh, and then he left, and my boss you know, needed somebody to do it, and he came to me and said, "Hey, will you do it?" And I said, "Well, look, I don't really like." how most power rankings look and work and like you said are just kind of a couple sentences and some teams thrown together in a random order 
And so I showed him uh, how Luke does his for Sports for Sports Illustrated, and I said, I would like to do something like that. And uh, look, we can't, uh, we can't do exactly what he does or how, or certainly to the, you know, some of the graphics and whatnot are, are not quite up to the same standard. But I, I just, it, I want it to be pretty much from day one. I've wanted it to not just be like, look, I, I know a lot of people just come to look and see where their team is and then yell about where their team is. Like it's, it's one of the most read things on our site every week. And it's, I'm sure it's not just because, uh, you know, people are coming to look at bar graphs or, or tables or, or anything like that. But the, yeah, no, I just wanted to wanted to have kind of a different look from some of the stuff that we run on our site. And it's been uh, it's been an interesting experience. This is my second year doing it. It's been an interesting experience for sure. Well, power ranking columns are almost always a winner because people like power rankings for a couple of reasons. One, they want to see where their team is, and for two, they want to fight with whoever is making them about where their team is, right? Uh, I'm sure you hear uh, at an eight or nine to one margin from people who think their team is is not high enough, as opposed to people who are like, "Wow, Corey, thank you for the respect. I really like really like seeing the Blues at number four this week. You really really got a good feel for the squad." Yeah, you don't get a whole lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you might get like uh, I think last week. Uh, I think the last week I had the Florida Panthers at sixteen, and I think it was probably the first time that they've been. They've been in any of those things, at least on the NHL.com, for a long time. And so I did kind of flip through. I, I kind of have a we like, I don't want to just, you know, read every single comment and all that stuff, but I, I'll flip through them at some point, like later in the day, once I think there's enough of them on there just to see what people are saying. And I did I did notice there was a, a at least a handful of people who were like, oh, hey, wow, look, our Panthers. <laughs> so there, there is that to a degree. But yeah, you're right. It's. And it, it kind of develops into a theme over the course of a season where, like last year, um, you know, I just didn't believe in a couple of teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Colorado Avalanche. And so it just kind of became like every week, you know, you'd go there and see people complaining about why aren't the Leafs or the Avs higher or on the list or whatever. And this year, so far, it's been it was the Montreal Canadiens for a while. And I think now, more recently, it's been kind of the, the Vancouver Canucks and the Calgary Flames. Two things. One, uh, Florida should be docked a spot uh, this column automatically. The next one, for mocking Buffalo for getting all the snow. Twelve people died. They should know better than to mock other people for for a tragedy like that. So shame on uh, shame on them. Uh, we're not happy here in Buffalo about Florida and their and their jokes. We don't think those are funny. So I ask you to uh, penalize them one spot. And uh, the other thing is, why did you come up with uh, Y sixteen? Uh, it's a good question. It's been it was sixteen before I started doing it, and then, uh, I mean, I I asked uh, I had asked my boss at one point over this. I think it was right before this season started. Like, hey, what if we, what if we tried to do thirty, and then we did just like kind of went away pretty quickly. Like, then we really wanted me to do thirty. Um, I, I mean, I think also it would just be it, it's a weird like it takes uh, like I do it on Wednesday night. Like tonight, like I'm going to be working on it from like after I got some of you till in the wee hours of the morning, <laughs> um, and so. But and then it takes a lot of the day on Thursday for our production team to put it together. So it, it it's a time consuming thing. And like if we, you know, if it, if it was thirty, it would be. Like, I mean, I might have to do it on Tuesday then. So. Right. Did you Did you guys think at all this year about doing? Um, 
a bottom few, like a, a McEichel power rankings type of a thing. Like, you know, the leaders in the McEichel race, which is a huge subplot of this season, even though maybe maybe that's something that NHL.com wouldn't want to openly admit. But it's certainly a huge, the number one thing talked about in, in this NHL market, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, right. We're not, you know, they're, NHL.com is probably not going to run like a what uh, ESPN does, like the bottom ten in college football. Like we're not going to do it, but there's no question that that's like a huge, you know, some you know some years like you know this this past year the draft had you know it had some some names at the top, but not nothing compared to like what this is. I mean, we we are you know there is every Monday morning there's a weekend update on what Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel did. So I mean, there's you know we've we've probably by the time they get drafted, we're probably going to have it more about those two guys than any other prospect. I mean, that's a function of the fact that we just have more resources at NHL.com now than we did say, like, when Sidney Crosby was coming or when John Tavares was coming, but yeah, I mean, this is... and in the, I mean, the draft goes even beyond those two guys. There's two or three other people yeah. that are really super highly rated, and it seems like it's going to be uh, you know, one of those drafts where if you even if you miss out on the top two, but you still you still might get an all-star at five or six. Right, maybe a lot like the draft uh, where, where Fleury was one and Eric Stahl was two, and we could go on and on with all of the all-star level uh, players. Is it 2003 or 2004, something like that? That's the one that comes always comes to mind when I think of uh, just a draft where you had a you had to be you had to really screw up to to get a, a, a to screw that one up. I think actually uh, the Rangers were picked the kid from Dartmouth was the only I think first rounder who didn't play in the NHL. I think he did eventually. He did eventually. It was it was it was a, it was a trivia question for a long time, right? He was the only player from the first round of the 2003 draft, and but uh, Hugh Jessman did get Jessman, there right. with the Islander. He, he was with a different organization, like, and it was only for a couple of games. Yeah, I remember like, the, the you know wait on there. Yeah, the irony in Buffalo was Lee Stepniak played with him at Dartmouth, and the big reason why Stepniak ended up getting drafted was all the the buzz in his arena every night for people watching Jessman. You know, so Stepniak ended up getting picked in the fifth round, and uh, he's had a great NHL career. And then Jessman, the first rounder, like you said, struggled to get to get many games. You don't just write power rankings on this thing, though. You're a columnist for the website, and you were out in Florida when we were talking, uh, covering some meetings and some other things. Uh, tell me about. Uh, we're always interested in process, and covering hockey for NHL.com is, is obviously different. Than if you were covering it for free, ESPN.com or uh, Puck Daddy or any number of uh, different hockey sites. Uh, what what's the process of a co- of a columnist for NHL.com? What's your approach, and how do you think it might be different than if you covered it for an, another one of those sites? Yeah, I mean, it's I covered you know I covered the Capitals in DC for three or four years for the newspaper there, and for like a year as a freelancer for a bunch of different places before I came here. And I mean, it's definitely different. I mean, it's not, you know, there are certain areas where you just know, you say, it's, just, it's hard to explain. Like you just, you get one, you know, maybe it takes a while to get used to when you first get there, but honestly, like it hasn't been, I would say it hasn't been as different as I thought it might have been. Right. Like it's not, you know, I think some some people might say like, "Oh, it's it's the league's website, so it's you know you have to be very yeah, everything has to be positive and it has to." That, I mean, that's not true. I mean, I I think anybody who reads the that Super Sixteen thing every week sees 
plenty of, of criticism and, and whatnot in there. It's, um, you know, you just have to, like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, or as much censoring as, as some people might think from the outside, but I mean, you just have to be kind of smart with, uh, with how you, you know, how, how you, uh, what's the right word? Like, uh, present things, right? Like if I'm, like, I'm not just going to say like PMX sucks. Like I'm going to say PMX has this issue and this issue and this issue and this, there's facts and you back it up. There's, you know, right. every, everybody here is clear to with that. So, I mean, I think that's kind of how it works. I mean, it's, it's been different. I mean, the big, the big difference for me was going from just covering one team and kind of being, you know, so focused on one team to having to, you know, have like a league wide focus. Like you just can't, like, I remember my first year working at NHL.com, I still probably watched 55 or 60 Caps games on TV just because I was so, this, that was like having a routine. But now I, I rarely watch them because they're not one of the best teams in the league anymore. So I you try to watch as much as you can from everybody else and read a lot and try to, you know, have a more national scope. When Rich Eisen was on our podcast, one thing that he stressed was that in the 10 years he had been in NFL Network, never once had anyone ever discussed his content with him uh is that the is, do, you, do you have that same feel writing writing for nhl.com it, it, do people question your content and the way that you're presenting it or is it just like as long as you're using common sense and sort of like you said keeping snark out of it and and making sure you're backing everything up with uh with realistic journalism you're you're, you're good yeah i mean that's i mean look for for 97 percent of the stuff we write that's that's pretty much how it works I and mean, there's there can be some sensitive topics here and there where you have to. What's an example? You, know, you might have to talk to your boss and say, like, uh, um, I just this past week I wrote a story about how the Minnesota Wild have the mumps, and I, I mean, I was in Minnesota and was trying to figure out what I wanted to write, and I just said to my boss, like, look, we haven't really. I mean, we, every time one of the guys was out of the lineup, we could we write that hey, he went out of the lineup, he's got the mumps virus, he's the third guy to have it, he's whatever, like we really hadn't done like an overall, like how weird is it for a team to be dealing with the mumps like this? Like, I mean, it was, right. and it's been, you know, there've been like, there's been like an all random guy on three or four other teams, a couple guys here and there get it, but it's kind of been the wild and the wild has been the team that have had it the most. They've had five guys, all defensemen, and they've just kind of been getting it one right after another. And so basically, you know, I just tell my boss, like, Hey, you know, I would like to write a story about how the Wild have had the mumps and what it's been like to deal with that. And, um, you know, I just say, is, is this, you know, am I okay to write about this? And, you know, and, and then I went and wrote it. Is there an example of one that wasn't okay? Um, I think, I don't know if there's really, I mean, nothing like, there hasn't been like a lot of, uh, no, I mean, I mean, I can't really think of like a, you know, just immediately like, oh, this is a story that I wanted to do, and I was told like, no, right. you can't do it. It's not. Uh, you do the power rankings. You you cover meetings. You watch games. Uh, do you ever? Is there ever uh, something you want to bring to the website that isn't there? Do you do you look big picture as someone who's a columnist and uh, for the website who, who's a staff writer? I guess is how how it's listed. Uh, on the on the thing, and, and you, like you said, you know, someone else was doing Super 16, so they asked you to do that, and you did that. 
you ever have big picture ideas? Is there is it a creative uh, is it a creative environment where big picture things can be brought to the table and you can uh, you can build on on the content of the website from a, a more big picture sense, uh, macro instead of micro? Like hey, yeah, I, I mean, uh, it, so it's <laughs> so my official title there is actually assignment editor. I'm actually uh, whenever I'm not writing, I'm actually kind of in charge of uh, helping the my boss like plan out what everybody else is going to write. So. Uh, I've I've been doing a lot of planning stuff there the past couple of years. So um, beyond just you know changing how the Super 16 works, we do a a uh, kind of running feature called the Sunday Long Read that we were doing every week last year. We've we've uh, dialed it back to every other week this year because it's a very intensive process to have somebody on your staff write a five thousand word story every single week, as we found out. But uh, yeah, and that and that thing is. I mean, basically, we had all these writers who wanted to write. Was that sort of like your Monday morning quarterback? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's like uh, you know, it's just a way for people to, you know, we we had we always had people who had these great ideas to do stories, and then everybody. One of one of my boss's complaints was that everybody was always trying to write too long uh, on just like normal stories. So he wanted to give every you know he wanted. Uh, I kind of had, you know, we kind of came and got together and said, hey, what if we had this one outlet where somebody has a good story idea, let them go and do it. And, like, I mean, we've, I mean, that's, honestly, that's been, over the last two years, the, like, the best stories that are, that have run on our site have been all been from that. I mean, we had, um, I'm trying to think of, but just recently we had one where uh, one of our guys who's really into goalies did kind of the the, the history of, goalie mask art like starting with you know gary cheevers and putting the stitches on on the mask and how it's evolved and into different categories and become like literally work smart um and we've done like and then the it's been like nhl stuff and then it's even been branched out like last year we had a guy do an amazing story on um the girl from sandy hook this female hockey player who went to sandy hook high school and an elementary school or whatever it was and um, and just had all these ties to the area and is now, I mean, she's, um, she knew, you know, she knew that the, the teachers that were involved in the, in the shooting and she's at, uh, Shattuck St. Mary's high school and is one of the best female hockey players in her, at her age and the, you know, in the country and the world, whatever you want, however you want to say it. And so that, and that was just kind of a unique thing that I didn't really see. I mean, I kept looking to see if anybody else was going to had, had written about her. And so we ran that on like the one year anniversary of the, of the, of the shooting out there. So that, I mean, that thing in particular has been kind of the, you know, the, a, a way for us, for us to have, you know, to have great creative long form writing on the site. Well, there have been some other, some other features like last year during the Olympics, we had to, like an Olympic feature every week, once a week. That, um, and we like more, we try to do more, uh, we try to do more prospect stuff too, just because, you know, we focus so much on covering the NHL, but there's, I feel like, especially in hockey, compared to the other sports, like I mean, in the NBA and the NFL, um, you know, everybody knows the college football players and college basketball players before they get there. But in hockey, a lot of people don't know, you know, beyond who there is beyond Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel. So, right, I wanted to ask you that. To do. Yeah, actually, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But I wanted to ask That's you. Okay. You led me right to it with uh, with the World Junior Championships being in North America this year. Do you think the site will fo- and with McDavid and Eichel playing in them and potentially playing head to head, assuming that uh, McDavid's hand will heal in time, and I think it will. But 
do you, do you foresee the NHL.com paying closer attention to the uh, World Junior Championship this year than maybe in previous years? Yeah, I mean, whenever whenever it's in North America, we go. I, I'm, I, I'm, I can't actually remember if it's if we're sending two people or three people. Um, well, because we have we have a writer already in Toronto and a writer two writers actually in Montreal, so we'll have people to put them. Also, we we have two writers, uh, Adam Kimmelman and Mike Morial, who uh, do most of our draft stuff. Though one of them or both of them will be going. And yeah, no, it's this is you know it's become. I mean, it's been a big deal in Canada forever, or however right. however long PSN's been putting it on, right? Uh, but it, it's become a much bigger deal in the United States. Like, it, I mean, it's why well, I think it's one of the better rated things on NHL Network. Whenever whenever they show the USA games. And, and then, like you said, the high-profile kids. I mean, and then even the kid from the 2016 draft, Austin Matthews. That, like, I mean, he like, he could be a breakout star at this at this at this tournament for the Americans. So, yeah, no, we definitely will. We, I mean, when, even whenever it was an over, when it was overseas, we'd have guys writing, you know, just kind of writing wire type stories from the desk. But we'll we'll certainly have probably two, three, two, three, four stories a day. It's such an interesting. It's such an interesting. I think more and more each year, such an interesting view into the major junior versus college development too. When, especially since the United States has been such a huge uh, factor in the tournaments the last ten years, obviously winning a few finally, and I mean, I think this year's preliminary roster. I think there's only five major junior players on the U.S. team. I don't think there's any college players at all on the Canadian team. And it's such an interesting contrast. That's something that you know. Personally, I, I'm probably more interested in and more people than more, most people. But I just it'll be I I just think that's always a really interesting subplot subplot of it. And the more and more that it becomes a, a U.S. versus a Canada thing, and the teams seem to take those paths, that it, it'll shine light on that. You know, this was such an interesting interesting year with Eichel deciding to stay in college and and uh, uh, the kid from Columbus deciding to 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 bail on BC, but. I don't know. That probably interests me a little bit more, but I'm excited to see how that plays out this year, and I always am. So, yeah, no, and you know what? It's like um, it kind of it kind of shows. It's it's. I mean, obviously, like the U.S. versus Canada thing gets focused on a lot too. But then you also have like um, you know the kids from Sweden, the kids from Russia, and um, and like how they. I mean, you know, a few of them. Like they'll have, each of those rosters will have a couple of guys who have come over and played in the, you know, in in one of the three Canadian junior leagues. But it just yeah, though, there you know, there's such a the sport has changed so much in the past, even if it's just decade or twenty years or whatever it's been, where it's not just there are so many other places that people are coming that are you know building hockey players basically, and and it's not just Canada and it's not just Russia and it's not just. Michigan, Minnesota, and, and Massachusetts here in the states. So it, it's right. uh, yeah, it's an, definitely an interesting. And I mean, and Michael was an interesting character to or case or whatever too because he was an uh, OHL. Yeah, or, or he just was. You know, he he had a year. You know, not everybody, not everybody who's born in the United States plays a year of college before they or has the ability to play a year of college hockey before they're drafted. Right. Yep. Yep, I mean, a lot of people will say that he would have bailed on BU if he would have been an OHL guy. I'm not so sure, but um, I'm glad he's. I'm glad he stayed. I love college hockey, and I love kids who go USHL, and I love the development program. I think it's the envy of the world. I really do. I think our under 17 and under 18 
development program. I, I, th- I don't think anyone can, can parallel what, what they have going on in Ann Arbor. And I think our uh, winning winning gold medals in the World Junior Championship is a direct reflection of that. Uh, Corey writes for NHL.com. He's on Twitter. I don't have it in front of me. You want to give your Twitter? Yeah, it's yeah, it's just my name, C-M-A-S-I-S-A-K-22. Got it. And we didn't talk a lot of hockey today, but I wanted to get to get to know you a little bit more and get to know about the about the site. And uh, we got to have you back, and we can talk a little bit more about teams and players and things that are actually going on in the league. But I wanted to go a little bit more macro today and find out about the site and writing for NHL dot com and and see where you're at on some of those things. But thanks a lot for all the time. I really appreciate it, and, and I love the column. I really do. And uh, ironically, Luke Wynn is one of the other guests on the show today. So. Uh, and I told him, I said, uh, that, uh, that I said, you know, I found a, another, another column that it, it sort of looks like yours. And he said, he's, it'll be the first time he reads something on NHL.com. So I think I got, <laughs> I got you a new reader, but, uh, <laughs> well, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being on. Really appreciate it. Love having you love having the, having the time and, uh, definitely be checking it out, staying in touch and, and hopefully you'll, you'll be willing to do it again. Yeah, sure. Anytime. Uh, it's, uh, it's great to be on. All right. Thank you. All right, I want to thank our guests. I can only confirm Luke Wynn was one of them. <laughs> at this, sure, they were great. At this point, but I want to thank them all for being on the podcast today. I was 4-0, despite not knowing that Mariota plays for <laughs> Oregon, which I promise you I did. I don't know why I was saying Baylor. I believe you. Uh, I had the Patriots winning. Crushed that. Carolina getting 10 points against the Saints. They won by 75, so I had that one easily. The Rams, they shut out the pathetic Redskins. That was an easy one. Yep, that was a good pick. And Seattle, winner as well. 4-0, 16-11-1. Don, 2-2, two two, lost on the Bills and the Saints, one and on Seattle so, and the Patriots, 15-12-1. Yep. Yeah, somehow I land on Seattle and the Patriots just about every week, it seems like. All right. All right, the game of the week this week. Uh, I know it's probably not the best game, but we try to avoid the worldwide leader game. So we're going with the Broncos. And the Chargers, uh, Broncos on the road, only giving up four points. I don't know. I don't believe in the Chargers. Uh, and I think the Broncos, despite the win, maybe. I wouldn't want to play Peyton after he has the worst game in six years. So give me the Broncos minus four on the road. Yeah, I'm going to take the Broncos minus four as well because I don't believe in the Chargers in these spots. I don't believe in Rivers here. And uh, they've played a little bit better after their sort of midseason slump that they had where they got crushed by Miami. But I just I just like the Broncos here. By the way, last week there was uh, fantasy football playoffs. Yeah. How many teams do you think just got crushed by Manning, Breeze, Demarius Thomas? People who hung on to that slug Jeff, Josh Gordon for yeah. however long. And he was good. Week before, a week or two before, so that, no reason back, not, yeah. not to believe in him. Who else? There's some other big names who just shit on themselves. Jimmy Graham, yeah. Jimmy Graham, Drew Brees, Mark Ingram. If you were playing him, I mean, it wasn't a good week to have a Saint or a Bronco. Uh, Demarius Thomas, you already said. Yeah, Demarius, I said. Emmanuel Sanders held his ground in a PPR. He didn't cost it 
to you in a PPR. No. You know, he had over 10 in a PPR. I had a friend that uh, I said, and I might have talked about this on the podcast, we kind of had a verbal agreement. I was in one league, have you have keepers, and I was trying to trade for futures and giving up studs. And we had a trade in place for – I was giving up Peterson kind of like on the lottery ticket for him. And we had kind of a verbal agreement in place. And then I get a note from ESPN that a trade has been accepted in the league, and it was for the guy I was going to trade for. So I texted the guy, and I said, uh, I hope your team doesn't win another game. And that was – he had Peyton. He had he had a stacked – So he dogged you, you're saying? Yes, he did. He did. He, he We had a verbal agreement to the point that I was telling the owner or the – the league manager, but it wasn't like put through officially. Like he hadn't accepted it in the actual app or whatever. And then I got a notice about a trade going through with that, with that, uh, the guy that I was trading for. But, uh, yeah, so he got smoked week one. He had a really sweet team. He did everything he could to get great receivers. And I mentioned this team on the podcast that I absolutely love, loved all year. I have Brady at quarterback, top five quarterback all year. I had Ellington. Oh, you did? You said you snuck in and this team was getting healthy? Yeah, and I lost by five points because Demarius got nothing and Josh Gordon got nothing. Brutal. I mean, if either of them get six. I mean, if either of them probably get half of their average. Like, they had really, really poor days. Yeah, tough week for fantasy. Um, You made your pick, right? Speaking of fantasy... uh, Don and I will continue our supremacy in the uh, in the Listener League, both hosting semifinals this week hmm. in the Listener League. So, we're the best. <laughs> uh, my worldwide leader pick, uh, I, I almost cringe using that name for a Thursday night football game, but I, I like the Rams this week. They're minus three and a half at home to a 10 and three, I think, at this point, Cardinals team. But the Rams have been playing really, really well since beating Seattle. Back to back shutouts, I think. Is that true? I think so. Wow. I I heard a stat as far as fantasy goes that there's like two shutouts all year in football. So to have back to back. Yeah, I hope I'm not making that up, but I thought that that was true. But that'd be remarkable. But they're playing really, really well. I'm not sure they have much to play for. They're gonna they're gonna struggle to catch the division winner. but they're playing really well since about week seven. I think they're five and three, beating some good teams like Seattle and uh, San Francisco. Yeah, they shut out Oakland fifty-two nothing. Jeez. So they're a team playing really well. Back to back. Cardinals are a team that I think they came off a win, but they're not playing as convincingly. So give me the Rams at home minus three and a half. Yeah, I have the Rams too. I actually argued with someone on Twitter for an hour uh, when I was tweeting for PPI a couple weeks ago because I just saw the commercial like this is the next one, and I just sort of said the Rams are going to win that game. Yeah, and I just don't think there's much left to the Cardinals. They got a big win this week. Yep, and that's uh, that's good for them. But I mean, they would have to struggle to miss the play. Well, no, not really. That win probably probably is going to make them a playoff. They're probably going to get in there. They'll be, but they'll be close. Yeah, I, I don't love them. I, I like the Rams too. I, th- I think the Rams will win the game. All right. All right. So uh, my home time or home team game this week, uh, I'm stupidly going to take the Bills plus six and a half. Uh, even though I've been calling for their heads or saying that they're dead every week since Kansas City, they play tough. That defense is maybe the best in the league, and they don't believe they're dead, I don't think. I picked a few weeks back for them to either win a game or fall apart, and they won the game. Maybe it was the Jets game. They won convincingly. And they, they're they playing tough. I mean, I, I they 
got to hold their heads high. I mean, you don't want moral victories as a Bills fan anymore, but I think they keep it tight. I'm actually going. Are you? That'd yeah, Saints cool. play Monday, so I'm going to go watch Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, why not? Probably won't stay the whole game, but yeah, go down there and watch for a bit. So yeah, I I don't love that pick, but I'll I'll begrudgingly keep take the Bills plus the points. Uh, I'm done picking the Saints. I'm going <laughs> to pick the Bears. Uh, Bears are plus three at home. I'm just done picking the Saints. I'm off them. Fair enough. Uh, my kind of random game this week. I've been winning with Seattle, and I'm going to take them again. They're a big favorite at home. They're a 10-point favorite against a division rival, and you never like to do that. But for a 7-5 and five team in the midst of maybe a playoff race, San Francisco has packed their things and gone home, I think. And Seattle, despite being better, a better team, needs wins to keep pace with Arizona. So I, I don't see this game even being close, really, unless the 49ers somehow get up. But they just seem like a team that's quit on their coach. I'm going to pick the Buccaneers over the Panthers uh, because I don't think the Panthers should be favored by anyone. Is that the 14-point game? It's six points. Oh, it's six. Okay. And is this unfair given the fact that this line was obviously before we know anything about Newton? I just thought of that. Should I avoid this one? Because if Newton doesn't play, obviously they're probably not going to be a six-point favorite. Sure, maybe. All right, talk about your son, and let me pick another one real quick. <laughs> talk about my son. I'm leaving this podcast. This is about my daughter. I'm going to try to attempt to take her to our first movie. What movie? We're going to go see Big Hero 6, the Disney movie. Never heard of it. It's got, like, robots and stuff in it. Looks cool. Was there five other ones? There wasn't. I don't, so I'll, I don't even know what that name means. I'll, have to, I'll figure uh. it out, I guess, if she makes it through the whole movie. But Tuesday nights are cheap movies, and I got out of work early, so I figured I'd give it a shot. All right. I will take the uh, midget. <laughs> I'll take the midget, and I guess he's uh, plus one over the Bengals because I think he's not happy with being called a midget. No, I don't think so. Uh, it just seems like he's the kind of guy that's going to win his first game. You know, he's going to be out there making that stupid money signal. You want to punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's two sides to Andy Dalton, and maybe we get the bad Andy Dalton this week. and Sure. I'm under the gun, so I'll take the Browns plus one over the Bengals. I like it. All right. A long December, and there's reason to One more. 